Win big in 2022 with rotoballer.com's MLB and DFS Premium Pass, which includes 15 exclusive lineup tools, daily DFS cheat sheets, and our new Team Sync platform. Use rotoballer.com's exclusive hitter projections, pitching planners, DFS value plays, research stations, lineup optimizer, and more to help you win big. For a limited time, get your MLB Premium Pass for an extra 10% off using discount code SAMSKY. Just visit rotoballer.com, sign up today, and start rotoballing like a boss. Hello, and welcome to episode 30 of the Catcher's Corner. Sammy, we've, we've entered our 30s. We're out of the, the 20s. We're like we're adults with responsibilities and stuff now, and life life's starting to suck. Uh, how, how you Jeez. feeling about this? Uh, how you feeling about this baseball season? That's a that's a real that's a hell of an intro. Yeah, I guess I guess I'm a little down. I've I've been looking at I've been looking at the standings of my baseball teams I mean, a little like, too much for ten I mean, days into the season. Tyler, this episode should be like positivity not found here or something. Yeah. Um, uh, interesting first couple weeks. Um, obviously, there are the overreactions uh, that we're going to be dealing with. So it's always fun to go through that uh, early stretch of the season. Like, yeah. You know, spending fab on the next great thing and then freaking out about why you picked this guy in this round, considering. Yeah, we're just going to relive our drafts forever. Um, yeah. And we're not alone on, on this. Uh, podcast of positivity. Um, Chris Clegg is joining us. Chris, thanks for coming on board. Oh, thank you guys both for having me. I'm really looking forward to the discussion tonight. Anytime we can get together and talk about baseball and fantasy baseball, it's going to be a good time. So I'm looking forward to this episode and, uh, and chatting with you guys. For sure. Um, I, just in the dose of positivity, I just watched uh, Alec Bohm try to catch a foul pop up by the tarp uh, and he it hit off the heel of his glove and he fell on his head. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> he's just, we're not going to talk about anything relating to the Nola star as yeah, I am freaking sorry. out at the moment. He's having a rough one in the field, uh, Boom. Uh, before we get into the analysis, Chris, why don't we uh, tell the people where they can find your work, uh, what kind of stuff you cover on a regular basis, all that. Sure. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at RotoCleg, C-L-E-G-G. I'm right over at Fantrax HQ covering pretty much any type of league format dynasty prospects you know redraft we got it for you also doing a little work at fantasy pros just started over there not long ago so doing a couple articles a week there and then you know the podcast i do there across the fan tracks tool shed we cover dynasty prospects and redraft as well so yeah a lot going on but you know i love what i get to do and so it's always a good time yeah keeping you busy um so sure one of those columns we did want to talk about, um, talk, talk to everybody about what the premise of this um, quick grades column is, and then we'll get to some of the, the guys that were mentioned on there. Yeah, of course. So quick grades is basically a series started by Mike Mayer last year at Fantasy Pros and actually kind of originated on the baseball side from their football. They've always done these quick grades for football, and uh, Mike Mayer kind of adapted it last year, and he he has moved up to a different role at fantasy pros. So he asked me if I would kind of run with that this season. He said, kind of adapted. This is a similar thing to what he did, but I've adapted it a little bit. So basically what it is, it gives every player or every hitter, at least a grade for the upcoming week. So we look at a variety of different factors or four different factors, at least that give a player a grade from 10 to 25. 
there's four different factors that come together to give you a grade on a scale of 40 to 100. Obviously, you think about it like in a school context and like a 90 to 100 would be an A, uh, 80 to 89 being a B. Some weeks it really works out better than others. Like week one, there was several A's. This week, there was actually two that graded out over 90. But basically what I'm doing here is, is looking at projections and trying to factor in like, so I'm, I'm boiling down projections to like a weekly projection scale and then looking at matchups for the week. So I look at first, you know, what pitchers the team will be facing in the upcoming week you know, like lefty righty splits, all those things kind of factor in here. Ballpark factors also are incorporated. So basically I've taken ballpark factors from baseball savant, given kind of given them all a grade from 25 down with cores, obviously being the highest one being the best ballpark factor there is. And then that factors in. So like, let's say, you know, there's a team plays four games in cores and, and three games in Oakland. So you get two extremes there. So, you know, they'll get, it's basically prorated to say like, all right, so, you know, four out of seven games are in core. So you multiply that times, you know, that factor and then having three games in Oakland, that factors in to give you the park factor grade. And also just simply looking at how many games a player plays. And I think this is an underrated aspect of, of fantasy is accruing plate appearances and how important that is. So like last week we had several teams only play five games, which, which really matters. And then you know, this week, I don't think there was any, there was no five game slates on the week, mostly all six and a lot of seven games this week. Obviously, we've had some cancellations, some some postponements. Yeah. That stuff happens. You can't really, you know, affect like you have no effect on that. But so that all those come together and give you a grade. So last week, this week, haven't obviously we haven't seen much, many results yet because it's the first day of the week. But like last week, Sia Suzuki really jumped off and was ranked like fourth on the list, mm-hmm. and he had a phenomenal week. So I was like, that's really cool because like in my brain, like I never would have seen that happen, but right. when you kind of boil these down and it's like, all right, you take the bias out of things. And we, so in my brain, how my brain's wired, it's like, all right, I think about rankings and I still like think about ADP and rankings. I'm like, all right, well, this is where I expect the player to perform, but this kind of takes bias aside and says, all right, there's no bias here at all. And it's just a simple grade for a hitter each week. So it's, this it's must, been a really fun process. It must take you forever. Sounds like it takes you forever. It's a lot of work. It, yeah. At the front end, it was a lot of work really once I've, so the couple factors of like games played is pretty easy. So I have like a little algorithm in Twitter, basically look up and say, all right, this, so you take the team. So if the team plays seven games, they get 25 out of 25. If they play six games, they get 22, five games and drops down to 18. So that's already factored in the ballpark factors, getting all that together was tough, but now that it's already there, that's taken care of the projections and the, the matchups also take some time because you have to pull the data for like the splits for the, hitters against lefty righties. And then you look at the, the matchups as well. And so it's hard because, you know, we don't early on, it's hard to know, like who's going to be pitching And this article goes, they want it out on Friday. So it's like, who's going to be pitching next Saturday. That's eight yeah, days away. It's really right. hard. Yeah. So, you know, it's and kind of eyeballing there and doing your best, especially early in the season too, when, you know, you have uh, a lot of TBDs in, yes. those, yeah. in those matchups at this point. Yes. So and many, and many, one of those factors up in the air. One of those guys we'll talk about um, right now, actually, because a hitter that was in your top 10 um, was Byron Buxton, who came in eighth uh, and then obviously had a little bit of a, a scare with his with a knee injury in the game against Boston, slid into second base, uh, you know, took himself out. Um, and the the thought was, you know, that it was nothing structural. He's going to be fine. Um, I guess the question I want to pose to both of you is, we always kind of say Buxton is great when he's healthy. 
but we expect that he's going to get hurt. Uh, people who have Buxton on their team survived, seemingly survived this first scare. Does that make you feel, if you own, if you have Buxton on your team, does that make you feel more like, all right, I got through it? Or is that the wake up call that's like, I got, I got to get, I got to get something for him. I can't do this all year long. Sammy, are you riding the wave or are you just trying to get that off your team? Dude, I'm, I'm getting, I, as, as a friend of Tatis owner, I'm getting it <laughs> off my team. Like, legit, it's terrifying because I watched the replay and I legit must have watched the replay like 10 times trying to figure out how he got hurt because I couldn't see anything. I thought it was just a regular slide into second base. And I'm like, this isn't a knee injury. Like where? And then it was classified as knee soreness. And I'm like, dude, I think if you're a Buxton owner, you really have to start entertaining uh, offers at this point and just kind of seeing, Hey, what can I get back in return? Uh, that's, you know, equatable. I think at this point you should, you should be taking a look at that. And plus, if you're any if you're a Fernando Tatis owner, you can't even watch soccer highlights because Gosh. now you're watching this dude play soccer <laughs> in the outfield. What, what, what are the Padres? What are the Padres doing? <laughs> are That's they not managing this person? Like, what are you doing? Uh, Chris, what about you? If you, I mean, if I guess if you drafted Buxton, you have a certain amount of risk tolerance um, in your profile anyway. Are, are you kind of like holding firm if you survive this one, or is it scaring you off enough? Well, I, I think if you draft it, like if you're drafting, you should know that like there's going to be IL stints baked in. Like it's it's hard to expect, I think, anything more than 120 games tops. I mean, he hasn't played more than 100 games since 2017. He played 140 that year, but yet the most he's had is 87. That was in 2019. So it's definitely concerning. I do think you have to bake in the IL stints if you were going to draft him. If you're in a trading league, you have to really hold through this, but if he comes back scorching the next week, I think I'd look to trade him, cash out high. And the upside here is first-round talent. There's there's no right. denying that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, how often do you want him sitting on your IL? And I'd, I'd rather just get a, a healthy player that's going to be more consistent. Yeah, and, and, and to me, it's more of, of a mental health issue, right? Like, we've still got six months of fantasy you're ta- baseball. You're talking home. about your own mental health. <laughs> right. As the first, right. Yeah, sure, yeah. I'm like, dude, if you can, I'm not advocating to just trade him away to trade him away. You know, value is important. And if he, like, like Chris said, if he comes back scorching, dude, you're not taking anything less than a first round pick. So Mm -hmm. if you can do that and give yourself a mental breather uh, for sure. And another guy uh, that Chris, you had inside your, your top 60 is a guy who's been talked about a lot in terms of potential early season panic, uh, it's Marcus Simeon. Uh, you know, we saw that huge season last year when he was with Toronto, uh, hit 265, 45 home runs, 15 stolen bases, over 100 runs, over 100 RBIs. Um, now he's hitting 128 with a 190 on base percentage, 176 slug. Uh, it's only been nine games, but there was some concern about, you know, going from the Toronto ballpark to the Texas ballpark. And whether the 45 home, I mean, the 45 home runs, I think everybody knew was, was fluky. Um, do you have any concern, Chris, about Marcus Simeon this year? Or um, are you still just kind of happy with thinking you might get like, you know, 25, 30 home runs in a solid lineup? Yeah, I think that's kind of the expectation I went into with in drafts. And I didn't draft him a lot of places because I thought he was being overvalued. A lot of people 
paying up for a career season that I think is impossible to repeat. You mentioned, especially leaving Toronto, a really good lineup last year, hitting at the top of it. I mean, he scored 115 runs, drove in 102, the 45 home runs. I don't see happening again, but I think there's still 25 home run potential there. And the good thing is Texas likes to run and we've seen him run early. He's already got two stolen bases. So I think 15's in the card. So a 25-15 type season. The batting average, it, we've seen it kind of be all over the place. I think he's more of a, a 255-260 type hitter, especially out of Toronto and in Texas. He hit 265 last year. And obviously some of that was boosted by them playing in Dunedin for a little bit and then even in Buffalo. So I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm definitely not as high on him as most. The good thing is he plays. He's a compiler. Like he's constantly on the field. He's like the opposite of Buxton where he's going to be playing every game. He's consistently played nearly every game for you know the, the latter part of his career. So that's obviously a big thing. But yeah, I think depending on the expectation that you had coming into the season, you can be concerned. If you came in expecting him to produce first to second round numbers again, then yeah, I think you should be concerned because he's not going to do that. But if you temper the expectations a little bit, then you know, I think he'll be okay long-term. Yeah. Tempering the expectations. And also, again, as we'll talk about a bunch of times, uh, understanding the small sample size, you know, last year, Simeon hit 211 in the entire month of April. Um, and then obviously we know what he wound up doing for the full season. So, you know, there, he could still struggle early on and, and put together a good year. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's still, it's still really early. I think that, that huge contract, there's a lot of pressure there, obviously, when guys sign big money deals like this, um, putting a lot of pressure on themselves. Um, but, it, like, this is the overreaction part of uh, fantasy baseball is when you got a guy batting 190 that you drafted fairly high, yeah. you're going to freak out and, you know, lose your marbles. Uh, but, you know, it's only April. Let's talk about a guy who we weren't sure was, a, you know, a quote-unquote real thing um, after a good end of year last year, which was uh, Frank Schwindel. And he finds himself in your top 60 for this upcoming week, uh, Chris. He's, he's coming in at 55. Uh, so far on the year, this is before the Monday night um, game. He's hitting 257 uh, with a 371 slug, one home run, uh, three runs, four RBIs. So what was it that, that had the grade so into Schwindel for this week? He, he graded well for matchups and having seven games. That that gave him a little boost, I think. So you got, got the full 25 points there for, for seven days of games. And then, you know, the projections for the week were yeah, okay. And you look at others in that range and, and not as great. Ian Happ graded um, very – they actually came out with the same score there. So it's interesting to see. Um, the Cubs obviously had some, some more favorable matchups for right-handed hitters, which, you know, paid off for – Schwindel, he's been an interesting one. You're right. He was you know, very much talked about. Was this late career breakout legit or not? You know, looking, you know, if you look at the overall profile from what we've seen this year, it's not been terrible, but it's not been great either. And then you look under the hood a little bit and some of the batted ball metrics and the quality of contact is just not there at all. So, dude, Chris, he's hitting at a 63% ground ball rate. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus yeah. H. Like, come on. Oh, right. What's going on? So that's that's a huge jump. I mean, he was 41% last year, which is a, a healthy ground ball rate. But obviously, <laughs> the, the line drives have been down significantly, not hitting any fly balls, which obviously is going to affect the home run power there. I think that corrects itself. I, I'm not sure we see this continue. This is some small sample noise. But 
Yeah. I'm not sure. It, again, it's the thing of expectations. Like, what did you expect Schwindel to do? Did, did people expect him to come in and hit 30 home runs this season? Like, he hit he hit 15 last year in 292 at bats. So, like, people think of a full season. Like, is he going to hit 300 with 30 home runs? Like, that's not the case. But I think it's a, still a 20 home run bat with a, a respectable batting average at first base that was thought shallow by some, but also I thought it was actually fairly deep this year. So yeah, yeah he's an interesting one. So yeah, I'm yeah. curious as how he'll actually perform this week based on, you know, the grade looking at him as a decent hitter. I, I've, I've been fairly like adamant about this. I do not like 30 year old journeyman players that have one decent year. And then, yeah. you know, you're, you're thinking, I would not draft those guys. The well, year after. You're, a, you're ageist. You're ageist. I'm not ageist. This is baseball. <laughs> it, it, I think it's proven more often than not that those guys don't, don't This isn't Robert Redford in the natural. <laughs> this isn't Roy Hodge coming out of – this is not it. It's not? I mean, Chris it's has uh, – Chris, Chris has Nelson Cruz in his top ten. I think that's uh, <laughs> Ro- I think that's Robert Redford in the natural right there. <laughs> um, yeah, that, I, I hear you. Uh, you know, Schwindel had some interesting power numbers in the minors. Um, but yes, I, I think, Sammy, you're right on that one. Uh, before we move on to some guys who are off to some hot starts, I did want to cover one last guy who was on in Chris's top 60 for this upcoming week, just because I think it, it allows us to have this interesting discussion about teams that are obviously kind of platooning or, or splitting some at-bats. Um, Mike Yastrzemski, who you know has currently been hitting uh, leadoff for the most part in San Francisco, um, came in uh, just inside the top sixty for for Chris this week. Um, we know that there's you know some guys they some they rotate some outfielders out there. They've got Darren Ruff, they've got Jock Peterson, they've got Austin Slater. They're going to have Lamonte Wade Jr. coming back off of um, the IL. He had some knee inflammation um, at the end of March. So, Sammy, just in general, my question to you is with teams like this, with the Giants, where you know they're going to be bouncing guys in and out of the lineup, does that make you does that make you think, oh, I can get value from this player who everybody maybe is kind of like writing off because he's not going to get, you know, sick 500 at bats, 550 at bats? Or do you just think I want guys who are locked into playing time and I don't really want to do this dance of is he going to start today or not? Yeah, I mean, I think early on in my fantasy career, uh, I was really hesitant about managing something, a situation like that, right? Like having to make sure that I'm up on, you know, if he's if that player's playing today. Um, but then as I kind of got through the years in, in fantasy, I started to understand the value aspect of all of this. And like, hey, uh, having depth is really important. And uh depending on where you're getting him, um, if, if they can get you value in the, in that round or wherever you're getting him, then it makes sense to add to your squad. So I'm for sure, like, you know, if somebody's new to this, I would say probably stay away from, from situations like this because you're just not well-versed in how to, you know, stay on top of these kinds of things. Um, but I think for a seasoned fantasy player, you know, I think it's something that they can easily kind of find value in for sure. Chris, you, you like this opportunity to kind of play the matchup, see if there's a righty, lefty, heavy set of pitchers coming up, or does this situation also just kind of drive you crazy? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit crazy, but also I think the Giants have a couple guys they're just going to stick with, and then maybe they maybe they go true platoon throughout the lineup. I think, you know, we've seen so far Yaz has set 
both games they faced a lefty and Slater has led off. So that's could be a frustrating thing. Luckily we haven't seen them face a lot of lefties yet. So that obviously is, is played to his benefit. And this week he's only scheduled to face one lefty. So he did grade out well. And that lefty is, is Patrick Corbin, who we know has not been yeah, great. Sure. So, oh boy. He, he, he probably won't mm-hmm. even start against him. I'm assuming Slater gets to start there, but he, he did get some favorable matchups and it seems like they're committed to him. He's let off every game, as you've mentioned. So I think they're committed to giving him that chance to prove his worth there. And maybe he gets it going this week. I guess that's the hope for those that roster him. Yeah. And it's important also to realize when you're consuming fantasy content, wherever you do, just keep in mind, obviously the difference uh, in the league types between what people might be writing for and your league. So like Sammy and I want our home league is a daily moves league. A lot of the content that I'm reading is, you know, for NFBC formats that are weekly lineup locks. So a guy like Jock Peterson, who might be in and out of the lineup in a daily moves league, is more valuable to have on your team because it doesn't hurt you if he's not in the lineup. You can move him to the bench. So just always make sure you're, you're keeping that in mind. Um, we're going to get to some hot starts after we talk about one player. Um, understanding it's a small sample size, we're going to go over this repeatedly. Um, we had a long kind of argument in uh, in our chat for our home league today. Somebody in our league said, you know, that the Orioles were going to finish with a better record than the Red Sox because the Orioles handled the, the Yankees <laughs> uh, last week. And so I was like, you know, that's just a perfect example of we don't. I, I said you're crazy. Uh, I just don't think we want to overreact to nine games too much. One good series. Yes, Baltimore has you know this is pitched well. <laughs> But this is what happens when Yankees fans, Yankee fans get, you know, shut out by Baltimore. <laughs> right. They need to rationalize. <laughs> um, but but there are some small samples that I think are worth looking into or worth showing a little bit of, of concern. I know Sammy's super happy that Mitch Keller has gotten shelled because Sammy has never been a fan. <laughs> um, and Sammy hated that we had to talk about Mitch Keller in the spring. I did. I did. Yeah. It's because these bullpen sessions, like, great, you're throwing to nobody. You're throwing strikes to nobody. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it's a good example of how Velo um, isn't everything, you know, pitch sequencing and and you, uh, the types of off-speed pitches and the effectiveness of them. But I did want to gauge both of your concern level on Zach Wheeler. Um, because we know Zach Wheeler had a late start to the spring with the shoulder injury. Um, we knew that that shoulder injury was a little concerning given the amount of innings that he's thrown over the last couple of, of years. Uh, he threw 95 in his first outing of the year, uh, which, you know, raised some eyebrows because he was, you know, 97 last year. Uh, and then this weekend he came out throwing low 94, I think like 94.3 against the Marlins um, and he got lit up. So, I'm a little concerned just because of his history of arm issues, the arm issue at the start, the amount of innings. Uh, Sammy, are you just thinking like he's just ramping up because he didn't even get a full spring or are you also a little bit concerned? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned. Like I think we, we spoke about Zach Wheeler being primed for aggression this year coming off of last year. We, we, we said this, that we didn't think he was going to have the kind of year um that he had last year. And this was before, this was before the spring training shoulder issues. So that, and the considerable issues with the velocity uh, and there's other things like uh, we don't like the defensive uh, defensive metrics behind them. We don't like the ballpark that he plays in. There's so many things not to like about Zach Wheeler this year. 
Uh, yeah, I'm a little concerned. Uh, and I don't think uh, there's any chance he comes close to 200 innings this year. Uh, there is no chance that Philly is going to put him in that position. Like maybe 175, 180, somewhere in that range, but nowhere close. I think that's even optimistic. Personally. Yeah, I mean, uh, at the best, best case. Yeah, yeah, right. Chris, what's your concern level for Wheeler? Yeah, he's one that I was uh, like you guys. It seems kind of out on in draft season. I think you're paying for peak cost, and it seems like, especially like I guess in the NFBC realm, like people want the volume. And people look and they say, well, he threw 213 innings last year. He was among the league leaders in innings pitched in 2020, 195 in 2019. So you have the volume, but I think you're right. I'm not sure if he gets that volume this year because of mm-hmm. the concerns. I mean, I do think that part of the velo right now is just from the lack of ramp up. He was a little mm-hmm. bit behind. But even still, I think that he his fastball played up a little bit more last year than it had in the past. Like his four seam – while having good velo, like, you know, last year it was up you know, half a mile an hour from, you know, his, his career. That's not significant when you're talking about 96 and a half up to just over 97, but mm-hmm. the whiff rate really played up. He, he struck out significantly more batters with it. Did the batting average against that pitch was down significantly from the past, but you have to wonder, like, was that sustainable? And you mentioned he's down to the 94.7. I think that probably ticks back up to close to 96, but is, is it still going to be a pitch that causes batters to swing and miss? And that's my concern here. The slider has looked good in a small sample and that's been a solid pitch in the past, but he mixes in the sinker a, a decent bit too. And obviously that being a pitch that you throw more to contact, get the ball on the ground. I do have my concerns where one, he doesn't get the volume and two, we just don't see, the pitcher that he was last year that everybody paid up for. Yeah, I mean, he's posted a sub-3 ERA in 2020 and 2021, but I'm afraid that he's going to post an ERA in the upper threes this year and not give you the volume or the strikeouts that you expect because, mm-hmm. you know, last year the, the strikeout rate was up significantly. Like, that's never who he's been in his career. That's not to say right. you can't change and make that happen. Like, he, he obviously did tangible things to cause that to go up, but – my concern is that that number is closer to 23% rather than the 29.1% that we saw last year. Yeah. I'm going to put, I'm going to put you both on the spot for one last dude, and then we'll go to the, these hot starts. But another pitcher I keep another ACE, I keep reading a lot of concern about is Julio or Julio Urias. Um, another guy whose velocity is down uh, in the last start. His velocity was, um, at 92.3, which was up a little bit from the first start, but down from the almost 95 that he was at uh, last year. Uh, in this start against the Reds, he got zero whiffs on his curveball the entire game. Um, he had a 22% whiff rate overall, 29% CSW. Uh, the changeup was fine, 40% whiff rate, uh, 33% CSW, but he only threw it nine out of 65 pitches. He didn't get hit hard, uh, but there are some people that are just fully freaking out about him uh, for this season. And Chris, I'm wondering if you're one of those guys who's fully freaking out or you're just kind of a little bit like we still need to see maybe another starter too. I think we need to see another starter too, but it's another pitcher that I wasn't really in on drafting because I think he was significantly overworked last year at 185 innings. Like he's had a long history of injuries 
And you look at the the body of work and you know, at least at the major league level has never broken a hundred innings before last season and then jumps to 185. I thought that was a, a really big jump for him. And I think much like Wheeler, it was the case of paying for a career season. Now the difference is Urias was an elite prospect and he's 25 years old versus Wheeler being 31. So I'm not fully concerned. I'm willing to give him a pass for at least the first start. He was pitching, you know, in cores and it was you know, 35 degrees. So uh, a lot of people I've seen, you know, they talk about how velo in that cold weather can be down two to three miles an hour, obviously it not being up his next start, which was in LA where we know it's much warmer is, is a bit concerning, but overall, I think it'll be okay, but I'm not certain that we see him pitch to the level that we saw last year. But I'm also not panicking because I still think he's going to be a really solid arm this year. We're going to start with the good news now. Uh, we're going to get to some some pit, or hopefully the good news, because we're going to get to some pitchers first and then some hitters who are off to some hot starts. And we're going to talk about whether we're buying in or not. Um, and I purposely didn't ask Sammy about Julio Urias because I'm going to ask Sammy about the first name on My the docket because he makes Sammy very excited. But, uh, Sammy, I want to know how excited you are about the start of Matt Brash. But I also think that we should exp- we should really explore the fact that he had that first dominant outing against the White Sox. But the second outing, the command seemed to go away a little bit. He's currently sporting just a 9.5% uh, K minus walk rate because he has a 16.7% walk rate. Um, I know you were super excited after the first start. How excited are you now after you've watched two starts? I'm actually still very excited uh, because I, that whatever stat you just cited that I throw it out the window. I can care less. It's like that's like my favorite pitching stat. K minus walk. I hate. Don't care. <laughs> I mean, okay. I think most of it, most of it, most of it was comprised because he threw six walks in, in yes. his yeah. second start. So that basically that 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 number is coming from that second start. But young kid who wasn't supposed to, who wasn't counted on to be in the rotation, makes the rotation, faces two of the most two of the best offenses in baseball. Um, in his second start, he doesn't have his best stuff, but limits damage. He literally didn't give up a hit till the fifth inning. Uh, and it was a bloop single. I mean, most of the most of the offensive chances that they had, um, who was it? The Astros? They were facing yeah. the Astros, right? Second, second start. Uh, we're all on walks. And for a kid to go out who hasn't been on the major league level to go get, uh, go up against one of the better offenses in baseball, not have his best stuff, and still come away with it, come away from it with a W, with a win, is impressive. Um, so you know, you're asking me, am I still excited? It, the second start actually made me more excited because if he can get away with not having his best stuff and still finding a way to work through it, that tells me that, you know, he's not scared, right? Like he, like if you put him in a spot, he'll find his way out of it. Where we've seen a lot of young pitchers be put in those same spots and melt down. Hell we've seen veteran pitchers be put in those spots and melt down. So to me, I'm, I'm, I'm more excited. I think he's going to get better as the season gets along. I think this is just one of those things where a young guy kind of loses his, his feel. Um, but it, to me, it's very encouraging that he was able to find his way out of it. Chris, where do you stand on, on Matt Brash? You also, with the rest of the fantasy community, going, going gaga? Uh, yeah, I think the stuff is really, really good. And obviously, 
command control matter, but he generates so many swings and, and misses here. You, know, you look, and he, you know, three of the walks were on three-two counts, which you know it's kind of when you're in a three-two count, it's kind of proven that it's like a coin flip of whether you get a walk or you know, the ball gets put in play or strike out. So that obviously matters here. This kind of reminds me of like a Dylan Cease type route where you know Cease has taken some time to really come into his own with with his command. He's always had the stuff, and he gets you know, the whiffs and the strikeouts. And you know Brash being a young pitcher in his first taste of Major League Baseball. And this matchup, especially against the Astros, two tough matchups, in my opinion, the White Sox and the Astros. There's going to be bumps in the road. I think we're going to see a lot of ups and downs from them, especially this year. But I do think it's a pitcher that has the stuff that can get away with, you know, at least below average command. But I do think it could play up to average command with time. So for this season, my expectations aren't through the roof. But long term, I do think that he can he's got the stuff to be a high end starter. Yeah, I think that's important to understand, obviously, like the better the stuff the harder typically the harder it is to command because when you're dealing with the type of movement that he has on his slider right making sure that that pitch is a strike or at least appears to be a strike for a long enough period of time um, can be tough to to manage on a day in and day out basis Um, Sammy mentioned you know veterans um, who can't handle things as well as Matt Brash can which gets me into this next veteran uh, we know that Sammy hates 30-year-olds who haven't yet broken out. So I guess Sammy must hate uh, Andrew Heaney, who's, thir- who's 30 years old. Uh, I'm so has really, tired has really of not Andrew Heaney talk. I know. But look, through two starts, uh, 10 and a third innings, uh, no earned runs. I think the big thing here, obviously, again, it's only 10 innings. Um, but he's sitting at a 40% K rate. Um, a lot of it has to do... Uh, with the way in which uh, the Dodgers have kind of gotten him to throw the curveball far more uh, than he was throwing the curveball when he was, you know, with the a- with the Angels and with the Yankees. Um, and then there seems to be some discussion about him kind of throwing a, a sweeper. So even though it, it doesn't look on the metrics like he's actually getting more horizontal run, there are some people who are way smarter than me when it comes to kind of seams and, and the way that seams – uh, manufacturer appearance that it, it's he's kind of cutting the seams more so he's getting more what appears to be more visual movement on the slider to hitters even though it doesn't look it doesn't measure as a much different pitch um, and that that pitch has looked has been really good for him and actually as I open up Statcast I see that they've reclassified um, the curveball as a slider uh, so they have him only throwing a fastball and a slider. Um, through these first two starts. And because we know that StatCast tends to factor things in based on what the pitcher uh, says that they're throwing, I guess that would be an indication that maybe Heaney um, has now changed his view of that pitch from a curveball uh, to a slider. Uh, gained two miles an hour on it as well, up to 81.9. Uh, so we know where Sammy stands. But Chris, are you like, I know there was a lot of Heaney is this year's Robbie Ray. Um is he, is he that? Is he somewhere close to that? Is he going to be back on the waiver wire in a month? <laughs> I'm concerned he's on the waiver wire in a month. I, <laughs> I wasn't in that camp of it. He was in the breakout, you know, the, this year's Robbie Ray type. But it's obviously been impressive. The Dodgers do magnificent things with pitchers. But I just feel like we're going to see him you know, be back to his old self before long. 
and people are going to be quick to jump off the boat. I think when that happens, unless this, this just sustains for you know a month in that case, you know, maybe I'll begin to buy in, but at that point, I'm not going to pay the cost. I think you get the Dodgers tax in there too, where you get a Dodgers pitcher and everybody goes goo goo gaga about them. It is interesting. I mean, we've seen some things look really, really good in the profile. He is allowing some hard contact though, which is concerning because if those whiffs do go away, the hard contact is really going to eat him up. He does get the benefit of, of pitching for the Dodgers, which is a big factor, but I'm very hesitant, and my opinion on him has not changed much since preseason. Definitely worth, in my opinion, definitely worth rostering and watching. Uh, the first two starts looked really good, uh, but you know we've we've done this dance before, as Sammy says. Um, yes, we have. I would, per- yeah. <laughs> I'd personally rather take a chance, and I'm curious, Sammy, if you would agree. I'd personally rather take a chance on Kyle Wright over Heaney right now. Kyle Wright, former, you know, best pitching prospect in the Braves organization who has kind of stumbled, uh, but is another person who reshaped a breaking ball, kind of honed in on the command and has looked really good at the start of the season. So, Sammy, if they're both probably not on the waiver wire in most leagues, but if you had your pick of the litter, are you are you banking on Kyle Wright um, or are you well, banking I'm on al- Andrew Heaney? I'm always going upside with young guys. Um, I'm, that That's always been my profile. I, I, I like the, the new shiny toy uh, rather than, you know, the uh, bargain bin refurbished aisle um, type deal. So um, fa- you got Kyle, fancy, you got fancy taste. I like, I, I got, I got caviar taste and uh, you know, you know, uh, caviar uh, and sardine budget, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I'd go Kyle, right. I saw some of the stuff that you put up there regarding his curveball um, and, you know, the, the depth of horizontal drop on it, you know, changing, um, it's always good to see young guys retool their arsenal a little bit when things aren't working. Um, and you know, he's got the prospect pedigree, uh, you know, and Atlanta's always been great at developing their pitching prospects, um, with Max Freed, uh, Soroka, uh, unfortunately he's hurt, but you know, they've always been good at developing those guys. Um, so I'll, I'd rather take a shot on somebody like Kyle Wright with the upside, um, and, and, and just go from there. Chris, between those two, you have a preference? Yeah, it's definitely right. To me, Wright struggled with confidence, and that really played down. I think that's an underrated aspect of pitching is just absolutely the confidence on the mound. And 100%. He, he lost it and never got it back. But when it clicked in the World Series, they, they threw him out there in game four and let him go with it. And that was a big spot for a, a pitcher like Wright who's struggled most of his career, and he pitched extremely well. And – I think that was the confidence booster that he needed. You mentioned he completely reworked the arsenal this offseason. That curveball is basically a brand-new pitch. It's totally different than what we've seen from him in the past, and it's been a very, very good pitch. And I think that's something that's got to stick here. He needs to keep throwing it at a 30%-plus rate like he has. You're generating a 42% whiff rate on it has been highly impressive, and six of his strikeouts have come on that pitch. The sinker also – I think has been been a phase. He slowly ditched his four seam over time, and basically it's it's non-existent. He's going to the sinker, which has also been a fine pitch. Obviously, get the ball on the ground, get the outs when you need it. But that curve and the changeup also have been really good pitches, and I, that was a big part of him reinventing his arsenal this year. And I really do believe that this can stick. What we've seen from him so far, I think, is is capable of sticking moving forward. 
I thought the start versus San Diego was going to be a big test for him, and he passed. I mean, mm-hmm. nine strikeouts and in five innings. The two earned runs that he allowed, you look, and they were there was a bloopy a bloop hit from Machado, and then a, a bad play in left field that caused him to allow those two runs. So yeah, it is what it is. They're still part of the numbers, but he pitched really well for those five innings. Yeah, I, I just want to briefly bring up this next guy just because in terms of retooled curveballs, you also have uh, Paul Blackburn who's kind of come out of nowhere with, with Oakland. Um, he's another guy, you know, 28 years old, was never really a, t- a top prospect, um, always had a pretty good curveball, has kind of has reshaped his curveball this year um, to pair a little bit better with his sinker. And, you know, through 10 innings, uh, 180 ERA, um, he's got a 26.3% strikeout rate uh, and really good command, just a 2.6% walk rate, has been a decent command guy. Uh, for much of his career. Uh, Chris, just is this a guy that we should be rostering? For me, he's kind of a add him in maybe 12 team leagues, put him on your bench, but I don't think you necessarily need to start him. Or do you think this is just a passing fad? Forget it. Yeah, I don't think he's a must start. I think this is kind of thing where you take a chance and see where it goes. Like you mentioned, if you have the bench spot, I'm I'm fine statching to see if it sticks because there's always a chance that it is a a late career breakout. And you mentioned the change in the arsenal is something that intrigues me. If he was doing the same thing he had been in the past and just getting good results, then I'm probably out on him. But I am interested in the fact that he's throwing the changeup and the curveball more, which has obviously played up really well for him in in the early goings, two really good pitches that we've seen so far. And if that sticks, then I think you can look at him in the must-start territory. But right now he's not there for me, but I'm fine going out and getting him and stashing him and just seeing where this takes you. This is like typical Oakland. Like this is this is what <laughs> Oakland does. Like like people have to understand. Like organization, like franchises have an identity. Like and and it's something that they're good at doing. Like there are organizations that are developing uh, starting pitching. There are organizations that are great at developing shortstops or infield, whatever it is. Right. Oakland is good at reclamation projects. They know how to take guys later in their career and find something and make them productive players. This would not surprise me in one bit if Blackburn sticks, because this is what Oakland does. Chris Bassett did it last year, later on in his career. Like these guys, Shalmaniah, all these guys do it in Oakland if, if they've got a bit of talent. Um, speaking of reclamation projects, uh, Sammy, you, you picked up this next guy in on the waivers in our league. Um, is Merrill Kelly. Yep. Uh, Merrill Kelly through two starts. Uh, he's throwing with more velocity this year, up a mile per hour to 92.7. He's allowed zero earned runs uh, through n- uh, nine and a third innings. And he has a impressive 34.2% K rate. Sammy, what caused you to pick up Merrill Kelly? So like, like most people like who do fantasy, like, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to pick up guys that have done well for me in the past. Um, and I remember I picked him up. I think, I don't remember what, if it was last year or the year before, but I remember he had a really good stretch. I think it was last year. Um, it was last year. Yeah. Right. He had a really good stretch last year. Um, a guy that can throw strikes. Uh, I was a little hesitant because of the, the surgery that he did have thoracic outlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, guys usually don't come back throwing harder uh, from that kind of surgery. Uh, so it's really surprising uh, to see the velocity uptick, but uh, I really love the introduction of the new changeup. 
Um, and I think that is helpful, especially when you have a vet that knows how to throw strikes. Unfortunately, he's never going to get me a win because he plays for Arizona <laughs> and they suck, uh, unfortunately. But uh, I like veterans that can throw strikes that can limit the base runners. Um, and I think the fact that he's he's found a little bit of velo, you know, it, it's similar to me, uh, a guy like Sean Manaya, who, you know, doesn't necessarily need his top end velocity to be effective. I think he's one of those guys that know how to pitch without having his best stuff. Uh, but the, but when you give them added velocity and you give them uh, a new weapon, they know how to utilize it because they've, they've, they've done it without having it. So now you have it and they can just go to town. Um, yeah. That's what really, that's what really kind of uh, intrigued my, intrigued me to kind of jump in on them. Okay. I, I think, you know, remember last year, part of the reason I had written some articles about Merrill Kelly this offseason is last year we had Steve Vote on the podcast when Vote was a catcher for the Diamondbacks. And late in May, he was saying, you know, Merrill's just now feeling right after the thoracic outlet syndrome. He's just now getting a feel for all five of his pitches. He went on a really good stretch um, until he tested positive for COVID. Um, and missed a few weeks and came back and was not the same pitcher, but he was a low three RA pitcher when he was healthy. Um, right. So I think this is definitely a guy to, to buy in on personally. Um, and then I want to also just talk very briefly about Brad Keller, uh, who we haven't yet seen. Um, he was supposed to pitch. There were some, some rainouts. Um, so we haven't seen him this week. I think we're, I think he gets the ball on Tuesday now. Kind of always had some interesting stuff plus metrics. Um, Eno Saris's model seems to always like him. Now he's got increased changeup usage, uh, which is kind of going to potentially help him, hopefully help him with some of the issues he has against left-handers. Um, he's looked pretty good at the start of the year uh, through 13 innings, just a 1.38 ERA. Um, he does just have a 22.2% strikeout rate. So he's not really killing it in the strikeout rate uh, game right now. Chris, do you have any interest in Brad think, Keller or do you think he's just a waiver wire guy? Uh, I think in a 15th team, I think he does have some value. And I've picked him up a couple places this week, you know, especially in leagues where you already getting the injured pitchers piling up. It's tough. I, I'm not sure we see this stick, but – I do like the change. And you mentioned the change. I think that's something important to look at when we look at pitch usage and he's thrown the change up 18 times this year, just once to a right-handed hitter, a pretty exclusive to, to left-handed hitters. But if that gives him a useful weapon against lefties, then I think that has some value to it. Yeah. He's, he doesn't have, and the, the velo is similar to last year. The slider is playing up a little bit, which I think would be interesting to watch. And you mentioned, I think the stuff is, is good enough to get him by. And he's also going to eat innings, which I think is a big factor. The negatives are he pitches for the Royals. I don't think they're going to be a huge factor. So they're not going to get him a ton of wins, but it's been encouraging to see, you know, in the two starts so far, he's thrown 13 innings and a 1380 RA obviously is a good start. It's such a small sample, but I think we've seen some positive things for him. So I think he is useful in a 15-team format. Not sure I'm going after him in a 12, but I do see some usefulness there from him. And last pitcher, we'll go quick, Sammy, to you as the Yankee fan. Uh, what should fantasy managers really expect from Nasty Nestor Cortez? Or as I do like uh, one of the guys on our chat called him uh, Nestor 4.2, because that's usually the amount of innings you get out of him, which I, I thought was a good one. <laughs> uh, so what, what, do you, what do you think – 
what should fantasy managers really expect from him? This I like I like Nestor. Um, I think it's definitely like we talked about. Um, you know, value being in the like you know productive innings, like like these uh, like modern relief roles where you have guys coming in for three four innings. Uh, can stabilize and get you a bunch of uh, a bunch of K's and stabilize your ratios. Um, I, I think it's just fun to own a guy like Nestor Sanchez on your team. Nestor uh, Cortez. Nestor, Nestor Cortez. Cortez. Why am I? Because you're, you're, you're thinking. Because you're looking at the next name on the list. Exactly. The That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Exactly what happened. <laughs> uh, Nestor Sanchez. I think it's fun <laughs> owning a guy like Nestor uh, Nestor Cortez. Um, just because when you watch him pitch, it's like a guy that it, like it, it's just doing some of the craziest things out there. It's like so fun to watch. Um, but he's a guy that has really good command of his arsenal. Uh, I think he's getting more confidence. I think we started to see it last year. I think he's getting more confidence on the mound on the major league level. Uh, pitching for the Yankees. I think he's doing, uh, you know, he's, he's continuing what he was doing last year. Um but it's just a fun guy to own to me. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to really tell you that he's going to, you know, light the world on fire against the Orioles, you know, but, uh, you know, it's just a fun guy to own. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of, it's one of the, another Yankee pitcher. I'm like, I can't believe this is working with the four seam fastball and a cutter right. that are both like at 89 miles an hour, but, but it currently is. So good for him. Good for nasty nesting. 12 K's against the Orioles. I mean, like, I know. Wow, bro. Um, so we're going to turn our attention to quick hitters or to hitters, and we're going to do some quick hitters on hitters. So here's what's going to happen. Uh, I'm going to just tell you the, the hitting stats uh, for some of these guys. And I'll just ask you guys real quick, if you believe it's legit or if you believe that this is just kind of a flash in the pan. So Sammy tipped the hand a little bit uh, because Sorry. the first hitter we're going to talk about is Jesus Sanchez. Uh, who's currently hitting 343 with a 657 slugging percentage, two home runs, eight RBIs, 10.3% um, barrel rate. Chris, is this legit? The power is legit. The average isn't going to stick, but I think he's an easy 30 home run bat. So I think some of it's real, but I'm not buying the batting average. Yeah. Uh, and that, and this is the power Chris is talking about right now is coming with a 3.3 degree launch angle, uh, which, yeah. you know, early in the season, that'll kind of adjust Sammy. I, I'm all in. I think that he's yeah. really impressed me. You too. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, he showed, he showed uh, a really good stretch at the end of last uh, end of the season last year. I, th I thought he was starting to figure some things out. Um, and it's good to see him, him carry over that success that he had uh, at the end of the second half last year. Just some really good at bats from him. Like just yeah. you watch in the at bats and the, the that Marlins like, team, man, they're they're putting some pieces there, uh, putting some pieces together with that rotation. They should have gotten Castellanos like Jeter wanted, and then Jeter would have stayed, and we'd uh, we'd so all be good. Happens when you when when you embarrass Eric Jeter, you get embarrassed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next guy, Owen Miller, he's hitting five hundred uh, with a nine sixty four. Slugging percentage. He's got two home runs. He's got seven RBIs. He's got an 8.3% barrel rate. He's got a 50% hard hit rate. Um, I'm trying to think of, oh, he, his uh, average exit velocity is now up from uh, 86.4 miles per hour last year to 92.6 miles an hour this year. Chris, 
did Cleveland uncover a, a superstar in Owen Miller? <laughs> no, this is the easiest sell I think we've had. <laughs> I, I like Owen Miller's profile. He was always interesting as a prospect, kind of just under, under the radar, but he was never going to be a star. I, I think that, you know, if he sticks in the lineup, I think he can be semi-useful, but not this good. Sam, are you out on Owen Miller? Absolutely out. I'm out. Okay. All the way out. So this is like the Frank Schwindel, Pat, Patrick Wisdom type people we were talking about before. Like the, the journeyman guys that really get no run. They come out of nowhere and, and you know, this is not even a full season of work. This is like two weeks. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. The, though I will say, you know, obviously the difference between him and, and the Schwindel, he's only 25 years old. Um, so, you know, there is some, some growth. I, I will say I won't, I'm not fully out on him. Um, a couple things stand out. First of all, he always had a high batting average in the minors. Um, he does have good bat to ball skills. He does make a lot of contact. Um, you know, historically he makes a lot of contact right now. His in zone contact is 97.8%. I don't think that's going to stick, but if you're in a deep batting average league, I do think that he's somebody who could keep a, a relatively high batting average for you. Not obviously not 500, um, but I think he could keep a relatively high batting average for you. And he did retool his swing in the off season to try to get more power. And I've seen some at bats from him this year that have me thinking like, you know, maybe he's, maybe he reaches 15 home runs for you. If he sticks in the lineup all year long um, with, you know, like a 280 batting average, and that's not anything to turn your nose up at, but obviously like you're not unlocking the new 25 home run bat in Owen Miller. I don't think personally. You're like, you're like the, like the sheltering arms home for like the not wanted fantasy baseball players. Listen, I, like, you, you take them all in. You're like a halfway house. I, listen, I, I just want people to feel welcomed and accepted <laughs> um, and that they, they have a chance to shine and to do their best. Hey, uh, um, Owen Miller, you have a cot waiting for you at Eric Sinensky's yeah. house. Uh, he can have a cot next to um, the next guy who I've also had on my roster a few times before, and it hasn't really worked out. Um, and it's G-Man Choi, who is currently hitting 435 with a 594 on base percentage in 826 slugging percentage, two home runs. Seven RBIs, a 26.7% barrel rate, which is fifth uh, in baseball. Uh, average exit velocity of 97.5 miles per hour, which is in the top 1% of the league. All of his X stats, bright, blood red, 100th percentile. Chris, are we witnessing a G-Man Choi breakout? I don't think so. I, I think that he's useful against – I mean, really, I think he's useful in a daily league because – one, he's not going to face lefties at all. I think it's a pretty true platoon here. Interestingly enough, he set the other night against Kopech, which it could have just been a day of rest, but he had also set on the 14th. He set the 16th against Kopech. So I think that was worth noting. But again, I mean, he's just been performing at a high level. The contact rate hasn't been great, which has me a slightly slight bit concerned. But overall, it's been a great story. I think he has some usefulness in a daily format and even in a weekly format if, you know, there's not a lot of lefties in the lineup because he's going to get a run. And I think that he's always had this potential in the profile, and I love really seeing it coming out in this early stretch. I, I think I agree with Chris. He's a very useful player. Uh, and I think he has seen – we have seen some contact gains uh, this year. 
right? And I think if those can stick, I think you're looking at a productive player. 2019, 19 homers, 63 RBIs, and 822 OPS, right? That's, that is a valuable player, you know, because you're going to get him all, either, either he was drafted really, really late or you're getting him off the waiver wire. And if that's the case, that's a valuable player. Um, mm-hmm. If the contact gains stick, then you've got somebody that you can plug in if you have an injury or, or just as a solid, you know, uh, matchup play, you know, yeah. uh, you know, if you're reading Chris's articles um, and saying, Hey, you know what, I'm going to plug G man in yeah, solid play. I'm in on G man Choi. Yeah. Much, uh, much better profile against off speed pitches so far this year in the small sample size. Uh, so it is something right. to keep in mind because that, that has been a little bit of a bugaboo for him. Um, in the past so if if there are some gains there um, that could help him be more useful in a very good lineup Uh, the next guy another one-time best prospect in all of baseball who uh, hasn't really quite arrived but is is seeing full-time playing time for the San Diego Pirates it's Jerickson Profar the average is not there at 226 but he does have three home runs and nine RBIs already on the season uh, with a 548 slug, 890 OPS, a 12.5% barrel rate. Uh, Sammy, since we know how much you love the Padres, um, are you buying not it? The Pirates, not the Pirates, the Padres. The, the Padres, yeah. Uh, hate San Diego Cal- Pirates. Homie. No, I didn't. No, no, we'll, right. we'll have to, we'll play we'll it go back. back. We'll go back. And we'll go back. back. We'll go back to the tape. But um, what do you what do you think on on Jerickson Profar? Are you in on it? Do you think that this is just a there's not really any new gains? It's the same old profile. I don't think it's going to be any new gains. I think you're going to see the same old profile. I think he's a guy that might give you double digit home runs and double digit stolen bases, uh, and is a depth play on your infield. Uh, he's got great multi position eligibility. You can stick him in the outfield. You can stick him in the MI. Um, you know, I think he's a solid play there. Um, but I don't think you're going to see anything. Uh, outside outside of what he's done um, in his career, that's going to make you say, you know what, this is you know a full time starter for me. Uh, next guy, young guy. So now we might be getting into the young and exciting. Uh, the new starting shortstop for the Houston Astros, Jeremy Pena, twenty four years old, sitting three thirty three with a six hundred slugging percentage, nine sixty four OPS. He has a twenty percent. Uh, barrel rate um, and an average exit velocity of 93.5 miles per hour, um, which is in the top 10% of the league. Chris, what do you think we get out of, out of Jeremy Pena? Do you think he's going to be a useful fantasy asset for people? I do. I think that he's going to make Houston fans forget about Correa pretty quick. I think he's that good and that underrated. And it, and this is, he felt he flew under the radar in prospect circles. He was never like that elite status of prospect, but he did bulk up pretty significantly last year, which allowed him to get more power. Always had a really good feel to hit. And he's hitting the ball hard. We've seen that. Everybody questioned the power, like what kind of home run power would he get to? I think there's easy 20 home run power here. I think he probably could run away with the AL Rookie of the Year award this year. I think that kind of talent's there. So I think he easily sticks as a useful player for fantasy. I mean, it's kind of unreal what he's doing. He's also displayed really good sprint speed so far. And if they're willing to let him run, I think he can chip in a few stolen bases too. So he's, he's already become really popular in Houston. Uh, just earlier, they 
I saw a, th- a tweet where he got the loudest standing ovation for pregame introductions. Like the fans are all in on him. Like he's just continually proving over and over again. Like I think he's here to stay. Dude, I didn't realize how big he was like, until I saw him. Until I saw the game against the Angels uh, last week. Dude, I thought he was one of these like smaller guys. And then when I saw him step up to him, I was like, holy Jesus, guys. Many of like Alex Rodriguez at shortstop. It's like huge shortstop. Yeah, he's a well-built dude. I don't know that you're going to see more than like 15 homer pop this year, but that doesn't mean that he won't grow into that. Um as he gets a little bit older again, only, only 24 years old. I'm, I'm in on him. I was too late to the party. Uh, I don't have uh, any shares, super disappointed. I just think he looks like a fun, um, exciting young player. So, uh, you know, maybe this is an opportunity where you buy it, you buy a dip. Uh, there will probably be a slump at some point because he's a rookie in, in major league baseball. Um, and, you know, maybe you buy on that slump um, and see if a team is, is quick to get rid of him in a redraft league. Um, Sammy, I want to talk about the guy that you just picked up in our home league over the weekend. Um, it's Hunter Dozier. He's got a 296 average of 481 slug, one home run, three RBIs, but he's got a 17.4% barrel rate, um, exit average exit velocity back up over 90. The launch angle is rising up again. Why are you so bullish on Hunter Dozier? Uh, I just think if he can keep the bad ball profile, um, if those can stick, that's a return to, um, when he was productive, I think it was 2019 when he hit, uh, 26 homers. Yeah. 2019. If you look at the bad ball metrics, bad ball profile for that year, uh, you're going to see this year is shaping up to look like that year. Uh, and if it does look like that year, this guy's got power, like he can hit the home run. Um, so you know, he's got, he's got, uh, you know, multi-position eligibility. I like guys that I can uh, use all over my lineup when I need them to. Um, and I just think, you know, listen, if, if the metrics are going to tell me that, you know, in 2019 he did this and I have a similar profile right now uh, in the same space uh, that I'm jumping on board. Uh, also important to know that Hunter Dozier was battling a thumb injury for a lot of last year, which I think sapped a lot of that, the power and had some lingering effects on the swing. Even when he was quote unquote healthy, I think it just kind of messed with his swing uh, mechanics a little bit. Yep. We're going to do this. Are we doing this dance or not? It's Michael Franco. Uh, <laughs> he's playing, he's playing every day uh, for the Washington nationals. He's hitting 275, one home run, eight RBIs. Uh, he's got a 58.1% hard hit rate, uh, which is top 7% in the league. His average exit velocity is 94.7 miles per hour, which is top 6% in the league, 9.7% barrel rate. Uh, we've seen hot stretches from him before. So, Chris, is, is, this, is he finally putting it together, or should he, will you not even consider this? I think you give him the run while he's hot because he's he's scorching baseballs, but I'm not convinced that it sticks. And I think that's okay. I think that if he continues to stretch for a couple more weeks and falls off, he'll be fine. He's still chasing at a very high rate, getting a lot of whiffs. And the strikeout rate's been okay. I mean, higher than we've seen in the past, but surprisingly, like he's always been a pretty low strikeout guy, which you know, you think about his profile and that that does catch me a little off guard you know it's interesting you mentioned the amount of hard hit balls you know when I was looking through the leaderboard yesterday just surprising to me to see him 
come in with a list of names. Ozuna is just dominating. That's 25 you know, hard hit balls this year. Then it's Devers yeah. at 20, Machado, Wander Franco, and Olsen at 19. And then there's Michael Franco at 18. It's like one of these does not belong, and it's definitely him. But <laughs> it has been encouraging to see, not going to lie. So I'd ride the hot stretch and, and see how long it lasts. Yeah, I, I think you're going to get at bats. Right. And we've seen we've seen him do it before. I mean, you know, Carter Keyboom is hurt. He's not coming up anytime soon. The Nationals don't really have somebody else that's going to threaten for for playing time there. Um, so, you know, r- ride him while you can. That that average dips down to 220 sooner than you think. Um, and yep. then, you know, blink of him, an eye. You'll have him him blink of an eye. Set him off into the sunset. Um, two more names for us to wrap it up. Uh, I think the new starting second baseman on the Toronto Blue Jays is Santiago Espinal because he's starting uh, even against right-handed pitchers over Kevin Biggio more often than not. He's got a 258 batting average so far on the year, but he's got a 338 um, XBA, uh, which has added to a little bit of the, the quality of contact. He has an 8% barrel rate. Um, he is another guy who you know, put on 15 uh, pounds of muscle. So the Toronto Blue Jays announcers are saying uh, with the, uh, with the hope that he would kind of drive the ball with a little bit more authority. Sammy, are you buying in on, on Santiago Espinal? I know we usually want pieces of big offenses. Yeah. I mean, I think this is more of an indictment on Kevin Biggio than anything else. Um, But I mean, if you're in a pinch, sure. I mean, guy who's going to bat in the bottom half of the bottom half of the order um, could see could help you out in the runs category if you know he gets on base and and, and the guys behind him drive him in. So, uh, yeah, as a depth play, sure. Uh, am I confident that this this sticks? Not really, uh, but I'm willing to take a shot. Chris, for you, you willing to take a shot on Santiago Espinal? Yeah, I think this is kind of proven that Vigio is just not a thing anymore, which is sad because, you know, well, we thought he could once be a 2020 type guys, not looking so promising anymore. Yeah. I mean, Espinal playing every day is going to give you solid batting average. And he's done that consistently throughout his career in the minors, a career 286 hitter. And that's over 1695 plate appearances. And even last year, we saw him up in the majors and hit for solid average at 311, just 246 plate appearances. So I think we see the average come up and, you know, I think you mentioned that the power, the, the bulking up, I think we can see a little bit more home run power this year than we have seen in the past, even though we haven't seen it yet. Also chipped in a couple steals. I think he's interesting in deeper leagues, but I'm not really counting on him for, for too much. Yeah. Um, and now he's got that second base, third base eligibility. So always nice to just have a little bit of a little bit of dual position. Uh, we're going to end with a guy who was kind of a hot waiver wire name um, in NFBC formats because uh, Taylor Ward debuted uh, over the weekend. Joe Madden said he's going to hit in the middle of the lineup. And sure um, enough, he hit in the middle of the lineup uh, both games that he played. Um, I'm double checking tonight's lineup. Uh, he hit second tonight's lineup. So, so far he has hit second, third, and fourth. Um, no hits tonight, but he did get a home run and a stolen base in his first game. Uh, former top prospect who has demolished AAA and hasn't quite put it together in the majors. Chris, do you think that we might ever see Taylor Ward be useful fantasy asset, or is this just a thorn in the side of people who want Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh getting every day at bats? 
I won't lie. I was upset that I didn't get them anywhere in fab. last <laughs> night. I, I thought I was being sneaky. Like I thought we were a week out from the big fab week. He wasn't like super talked about other than, you know, he had that one game. I was like, well, is one game really going to be enough to, to push the fab over the edge? And, you know, I thought I had some aggressive bids at like 40 and 50 bucks and didn't get them anywhere. So I was a little hurt. I don't know if this sticks, but you know, Joe Madden be committing to him is, is frustrating to me. Like as someone who loves Adele and Brandon Marsh, but if he's going to commit to play him every day and hit him in the middle of the lineup, I do think there's some intrigue here. He's shown in the past. He, you know, the exit velocities have been really solid, at least on an average exit velocity basis. What kind of average we see him hit for, but you're still talking about a guy that's, you know, he's 28 years old. So not old, old, but you know, another post hype type guy. We look at, you know, not a huge prospect pedigree or anything of that nature. Still be interesting. Like if he does get everyday at bats, what does he do with them? And I think the intrigue is interesting, especially someone hitting in the top of the lineup. So that is interesting to me, but yes, I think it's a thorn in my side as someone who has a lot of Joe Attil and Brandon Marsh. Sammy, does your ageism now encompass 28-year-olds too? Just too old to matter to you? No, but Joe Madden, like, drives me insane. He's like, maddening. He yeah. is – I like, outside that one year with the Cubs, the dude just does the most insane things with lineups I think I've ever seen. I think he was the first one to introduce, like, putting a power hitter at the top of the lineup, right? Like, call me old-fashioned, but, like – Doing this kind of thing to me just doesn't make any sense. Like the guy's never hit in the middle of any lineup anywhere, right? And you're giving him the starting spot, and then you you drop him right into the middle and say, "Hey, here, my man, take this one of the more important spots in our roster in our lineup and produce." Like, why can't you let the guy settle in, right, in the back half of the lineup? Like, why drop him right into a prime spot? Um, I don't like it. Uh, I, I'm not, you know, you guys can can call me ageist, whatever it is that you want. But again, this falls into my criteria of late 20s, late 30s, like early 30s guys that I kind of stay away from in general. When I think of Joe Madden, I think my friend from Staten Island uses the expression, he thinks who he is, um, yeah. which I think perfect, <laughs> perfectly My wife says to, that all the time. Yeah. I, mean, I don't get it. He thinks who he is. Perfectly <laughs> applies to Joe Madden. Joe Madden right. is just like, I'm going to do this because I'm Joe Madden. And, and, it, and everybody's going to say it's genius. And it comes at a cost, right? Like you have young developing players like Joe Adele there that, that need the PT. And you're, you know, you've already got a full outfield. Mm-hmm. You've got guys like Brandon Marsh. You've got Adele. You've got like Trout. Like I know Trout, Trout's not playing, right? Because of the, the hand. The hand. Yeah, but he'll be, right. I think he's going to avoid and, the IL. Yeah, he's so not going on the IL. So, I mean, like why yeah. introduce another name here that, Really, it just doesn't make any sense. I just yeah. don't get it. Oh, sorry, Sammy. So, Sammy you had to end the, it on a bad note, Eric. You had listen, to get so, me out about Joe Madden. Sammy hates old people, and that's really where we're gonna get that. This, I work in with, this podcast, with this podcast. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Why don't you just tell people one more time where they can find your work and, and what you got coming down the pipeline? Sure, yep. You can uh find me on Twitter at Roto Clegg, tweet out all my work there and, you know, do two articles at fan tracks HQ a week, one digging into stat cast metrics that just dropped today on Monday as we're recording this. And then, you know, also do a dynasty and prospect pieces as well. And then over on fantasy pros, as we discussed, the quick grades article is out on Friday each week. So you can 
prepare for your lineups the upcoming weeks. And also I am doing a prospect report each week for fantasy pros. So find the written work there in the podcast at Fantrax Toolshed. Very nice. By the way, I wanted to say this at the beginning of the, of the episode, like these kind of, these kinds of articles that Chris puts out, uh, they're great in terms of mapping out how you're going to use your roster. They're fantastic. I've used, I've used something similar on other sites, uh, but this seems way more detailed and way more analytics based. Um, Jump on that because you're going to like, to, to figure out who you want to play and, and, and take advantage of your entire roster. These kinds of things are huge and important. Mm, I appreciate sure. that. Yeah. Um, and you can follow Sammy on Twitter at uh, believe underscore Sammy. He actually has started to tweet a little bit. He had been just watching people, but he's started to get I felt bad. In I felt bad for you this weekend. I felt bad for you this weekend. <laughs> that's all right. Go. That's fine. Um, you can follow me. Uh, on Twitter at Samsky NYC. You can read my fantasy stuff at uh, rotoballer.com. Last week, I just published my first uh, article this year in my series, uh, new pitchers with, or pitches with new pitchers and wow, pitchers with new pitches. And should we care um, where I looked at Kyle Wright and Garrett Cole and Drew Rasmussen. um, And there'll be another article next week uh, looking at Adrian Hauser and uh, Paul Blackburn um and brad keller and some of the guys we talked about today so so take a look at that and uh i also tweet out a bunch of videos um at samsky nyc they're very nice videos too thank you i i like the pretty i like the pretty pictures um (laughs) and with that sammy's gonna go watch the end of this uh phillies rockies game and we will take you out until next week uh on the catcher's corner (laughs) 